the name of Jesus. Such a, such a powerful, wonderful name to be exalted. It's, it's the name above all names. It's one that we talk about in church a lot. And maybe, maybe one thing that is really awesome about the, the name of Jesus comes with something that we might not talk about in church enough. It's the idea of loneliness and, and being lonely. Anybody ever been felt lonely? It's kind of funny today that we are so connected because of social media, but we've never felt more alone as individuals. We've never felt more alone as a society. We've never felt more alone as people. And you don't have to be a single adult. You don't have to be a teenager. You just have to live and breathe to feel lonely. We, we put in our heart and we put in our mind the idea that no one relates. No one has been where I've been. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody is right here, right now. And so the despair of loneliness kind of creeps in. It's real. I, I've felt it. I've actually felt it since I've been here. Not that, you know, this church hasn't been welcoming and loving, but you get the idea of, okay, I'm pastoring this church and, and I'm leading here, but oh, who can I relate to? And who, who's understanding? And the isolation and the loneliness and the, in light of the daunting task that God has called us to as a church creeps in. But, but then there's the name of Jesus. Then there is the wonderful, beautiful, sweet, hallowed name of Jesus. Or, or maybe we call him Emmanuel. God with us. See, wherever you are in life, there, there are times when you're going to be lonely. You're going to feel lonely. You're going to experience loneliness. You're going to, listen, I grew up as a Florida fan among Georgia fans. I, I get it. Loneliness happens. But there's the name Jesus, God with us. Even as a church, we look at what God's called us to do and who we are and what we're doing here. And there's this feeling of loneliness as a church of who can we lean on together in order to see what God has called us to do come to fruition, actually happen and transpire. And we come back to God is with us. Emmanuel. And I find no better place to understand Emmanuel than Psalm 46. Now, Emmanuel is the word that we try to look at. We, we tend to focus on when it gets around Christmas and we start talking about this child that was going to be born and his name is going to be Emmanuel and we'll call him Wonderful Counselor and all these great things. But, but I believe that that was just the pinnacle of the idea of God with us that was realized by faith through all that God had already done. And so we look in Psalm chapter 46, and I want to read these 10 verses with you, or 11 verses with you this morning, as we look at the idea of Emmanuel, and you're thinking, okay, uh, this, whole, this whole thing that you're talking about is I give, and what does I give have to do with Emmanuel? We'll, we'll see. Let's look. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear 
though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake and at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Lord Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the wonderful works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being with us. Lord Jesus, your your final promise on this earth was, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. God, you're with us. We thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the truth that you were with us. And now as a church, I pray, Father, that we would see how you are with us today for what you have called us to do and that we would give in accordance to who you've called us to be so that your word will be magnified and your name made great here in this place. God, we love you and we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is such a really awesome passage because if you know anything about David, you know that he was one, on one hand, the man after God's own heart, and two, on the other hand, pretty messed up. I mean, you, you, could, you, could have, you could have shamed the Kardashians with a reality show about David's life. You just could have. And, and I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a man who, who was writing all these cool psalms and he was the little shepherd boy and he's killed the Goliath, but then he slept with another man's wife and had him killed because she was pregnant and he wouldn't, you know, be a husband to her because he was more dedicated to him. And, and, and then you had, then you had in his house, you had a, a stepsister and stepbrother, brother, uh, the stepsister being, being uh, sexually molested by him and him not doing anything, David not doing anything about it. And then you had his own son for two years taking his throne in Jerusalem and trying to actively trying to hunt him down and kill him. That would make for some pretty good TV in America. I can, I can see it now, man. I, I, I don't watch these channels, so I'm going to mess up their names, I'm sure. But like Bravo, is that one of them? Or, or who are the reality channels? You people know, you watch them. I know, I know. I've seen your cable bill. You watch them. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I can see the production crews rolling up, man. And they're going to start filming over here at Atlanta Metro Studios, right here in Union City. The life of David, you know. And they're going to do this reality show. And, and they're not really, but they could. See, David is writing about what God has done because he was the loneliest man on the planet at the time of this writing. He writes this, he writes this at a time when he was being hunted. You ever been hunted? I've, I've never been hunted. Well, there were a couple of times my dad had to come looking for me, but that's a different story. I've never been hunted. 
David was fearing his life. His family had turned against him. He was alone, and he says here, God is our refuge and strength. He he comes here, and he asks the question, am I in this by myself? And we ask the same question as a church. You can ask it individually, am I in this by myself? Or we can ask ourselves as a church, hey, you know, we want to honor God and we want to love the Lord and we want to see our church grow and we want to see our church do this and we know what God's called us and put put out there for us to do to reach our community and reach the state, reach the nation, reach the world and reach and reach and reach and study the Bible and raise up the next generation. But man, are, are we doing this by ourselves? See, what happens with loneliness is we start focusing on ourselves and not what is going on absolutely, totally around us. Paul got this. Paul was a lonely guy. You ever, ever been beaten badly and left for dead at the edge of the city? Happened to Paul a couple of times. You've ever been imprisoned uh, multiple times for preaching the gospel and all of your friends desert you? Happened to Paul a couple of times. You ever been shipwrecked at sea? Bitten by a snake. Some of you might have been bitten by a snake, but bitten by a snake and everybody's like, what in the world happened to this guy? He just got bit by a snake for putting wood in the fire. It happened to Paul. He was pretty lonely. But, but Paul himself understood the surpassing joy of knowing who God was and encouraged Christians all over Asia Minor in the first century to continue to look to what God was doing outside of just your immediate circumstance. And so it's easy as a church to ask the question, man, are, Kelly, are we in this by ourselves? Because I, I know it happens so many times in the church. You start hearing like this special offering coming for this and a special offering for that. We're doing this special offering for this. We're taking up stuff for this. We're, like, good grief, there aren't any other churches that could do this stuff. Are we the only ones? Are we in this by ourselves? And we start talking about how we're going to reach our city and reach, reach our community. And we start talking about how we're going to, to start this Bible study. And we're going to do this new ministry. And we're going to try to be like, okay, grief, is there anybody else that could, could step up? And, and we've got people in the church running around here wearing three, four, five, six, seven different hats, you know. They don't have to go wait till Easter to pull out their hat box. It's there all the time. We went to a Clemson basketball game when we were still living in South Carolina. And there was, there was, I can't remember what the lady's name was, but there was like this illusionist lady that did the halftime show. It was the most fascinating thing that I've ever seen in my life. She changed her outfit like nine times just like that. Like she pulled a cape thing up over her and she's wearing something different. And then she stepped behind this like piece of cardboard. And you could see on the other side, but like they flipped the cardboard around and she's wearing something different. And then she, it, it was crazy. Some of you in church can relate. And you ask the question, man, am I doing this by myself? Are we in this by ourselves? And we come back to Emmanuel. God is with us. And he says here in this passage of scripture that that we're gonna see some different ways here, five of them, about how Emmanuel changes our course to shift us from thinking about we're in this by ourselves, it's us against the world, it's only us, it's only us, to how we look at him and who he is. And it starts, David says, by seeing that Emmanuel is the presence of almighty God. Emmanuel is the presence of Almighty God. The word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel literally means God is with us. That's literally what it means. 
And he says here in this passage of scripture, God is our refuge and strength. I try to imagine David's immediate audience because when, when you look at stuff in scripture, whether it's a psalm or whether it's a, a book of history in the Old Testament or one of Paul's letters or a gospel, there is always an immediate audience. Somebody that was gonna be the first hearers of what was written. And the Holy Spirit used the different biblical authors divinely inspired them to write the words of God for that audience within the greater context of all of God's people for all of history. And we can sit down and talk about how the Bible got to be the 66 books. Don't believe what you watch on the History Channel or TLC or any of those because they're coming from a different skew, a different bent. They're not looking at the authority of what the word of God actually is. So I'm not the only one that, I don't have the quarter market on this, but I can give you better advice than they can. So here we go, and Paul and Paul, David is writing, and I try to imagine his immediate audience. I, I could picture David in a cave with about five, six, maybe 10 of his most trusted uh, military officials, and they're giving him this advice like, dude, we're all going to die here. You've got us in a cave. It's just us and a couple hundred guys. And whether it's Saul's army or Absalom's army, they're caving in on us and we're about to be crushed, quite literally. And I can picture David. See, one way I can relate to David is sometimes when I'm trying to process something or trying to really think, I'm sitting in my office and I'll just pick up my guitar and I'll just start just strumming and playing. Or, or if I don't have a guitar with me in my mind, I start going to some sort of song and I'm like running the song through my mind. Usually it has nothing to do with what I'm thinking about, nothing to do with what I'm trying to figure out. But I can picture David sitting over there and he pulls out his little backpack lyre and he just starts strumming away a little bit. And, and, and he's bringing some peace and some calm to what seems like an insurmountable circumstance. And he reminds the people around him, hey, we have the presence of Almighty God. God is our refuge and our strength. He, he reminds them when everything seems to be crushing down and these, these 10 guys, it could have been more, but I'm picturing like 10 guys and David in this cave and they're all thinking it's all gonna crush us. It's us against the world. And he says, no, remember that God is our refuge. God is our strength, not military might. He goes on later in a different one says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God because our God is our refuge and strength. The presence of God, the very presence of almighty God right here. But there's a flip side to understanding the presence of Almighty God. And that is that Emmanuel traces the history of God's presence. Notice what he says there in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or your translation may read, a sure source of help. Or maybe it might also read, <clears throat> excuse me, it might also read, um, abundantly available for help. See, you don't get to make a statement like that if you didn't have something to go on. Now, y'all know, I'm a Gator fan. I'm wearing, I got my orange and blue on, I know. For the last 31 years of my life, one thing I knew for sure was that we were gonna beat Kentucky in football. 
I knew it. I didn't have anything to worry about. Oh, we're playing Kentucky. This, that's a W. Like you look at the schedule, you're like, how many wins are we going to get this year? What, what's what's going to be the outcome? And for the last 31 years, I've been able to chalk up one sure win every single year. The University of Kentucky. Why? Because for the last 31 years, the University of Kentucky lost to the Gators. I can't say that anymore. I woke up this morning with this dreadful reality of, we lost to Kentucky. We lost to, and all you Georgia fans are like, ha, 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 ha. I'll come back to y'all later. But because there was history to go on, I could make a sure statement. I even said yesterday morning to Braden while we were eating breakfast, I said, guess what? We got Kentucky tonight, but I'll tell you tomorrow morning the score after we win. I had the assurance because of the history that it was going to happen. But God is not like the University of Florida football and all you Gator Georgia fans like, yeah, amen. It's not like any football team because it is always there and does not let us down. It is more sure and more present. And Emmanuel, the presence of God, traces the history that God always shows up. It, it might seem a little hairy, it might seem a little sketchy, and it might make you even wonder, but God always, always shows up because God is ever present. Now, now, that doesn't mean we always see what he's up to. It does not mean that he is obligated to show us his hand and show us what he is doing and why he is doing what he is doing, but it does mean that he always always shows up you get the presence of God because of the history of God's presence and activity in the life of man then he goes on and says in verse 2 that therefore because of this we will not fear God's presence in the past is the assurance of a manual for the future we know that God will continue to show up and we will have no reason to stand in fear because God has always stood for us. He says there, we will not fear though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. I want you to think about the assurance of the statement that David just made here. Because I know who God is and because I have this trust and this, this assurance in the presence of God, in the presence of Almighty God, even if all of creation fades away and breaks, I'm not gonna worry about it. That, that's, that's pretty sure foundation, isn't it? That, that's a pretty sure foundation how often are our fears and our assurances conditioned by what's going on around us how often is it that we get led into a season and a time of despair and loneliness because of what is or is not going on around us See, we start looking at everything and the survey of what's on this level and forgetting what's on his level and David says, come on, br bring the armies on. 
If they shake this cave to where all the boulders and, and all the stalagmites and stalactites kind of rise up against us and, and we're all falling under the, the weight of creation, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be afraid because of Emmanuel. And you look at life in church, you start looking, and, and, and sometimes we as church people get it backwards. We, we put our hope and our trust on the physical level in budgets and bylaws and number of people. Yeah, we want to see a lot of people in this church. Man, I, I, would, I would love it if by the end of this year, maybe end of next year, we're looking at a completely full sanctuary. Now, I can't, I mean, I, 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 could, I could get a start on it. But I can't invite everybody you know to come to church, but you can invite people you know to come to church, right? I can't make sure people you know get here, but, but you can help them and, 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 and go to them and, and draw them and bring them. And some of you are here because somebody did invite you. They did come to you and they did bring you. And it might've been mom and dad, you were raised here, or it might've been a friend or it might've been a family member or it might've been somebody picked you up on the way to church and got you here. Or it might've been Google. Google might've got you here. At some level, somebody, something got you here and you have outside connections to get here. So, so we can put our trust on like, man, the numbers just aren't what they used to be. Okay, what are we doing about it? Well, the budget isn't what it used to be. Okay, well, what, what are we doing about it? I mean, these are things that we try to put our hope in and get, man, we're Baptists. We're just as bad as everybody about it. We, we, we okay, well, the numbers aren't there. We need to have a deacons meeting. We need to have a church council meeting. We want to throw these things out there but ultimately what we've got to come back to is the presence of God, a reality for who we are and what we're doing. Is it about the assurance of Emmanuel and the call of God on us individually to gather to see, no, we're not in this by ourselves. We have a church family on whom we can rely. And as a church family, we're not relying on us. We're relying on the Lord God himself, God Almighty. Relying on God does not mean that we absolve ourselves of all responsibility. I can talk myself out of a wet paper bag most of the time, but I could not stand up here and just say, all right, God, you called me to preach. You're almighty God. I'll show up Sunday morning at 11 and you just give it to me. And I'll get up here and I'll tell you stories. And I won't have anything to do with anything. You walk away going, okay, he told me some stories and he read a verse to me. Good, let's go home. There, there has to be some stuff that goes into what you have as a sermon presented to you. Just like when you go to the restaurant, the, the guy doesn't show up. You don't go to the drive-thru and say, okay, I'd like, to get the, uh, I'd like to get the big Zach snack with extra tongue torch and some fries. And, and can you throw some ranch in there too? And you can hold the celery. Just give me a little extra fries because nobody really eats the celery. Why do they give it to you? I don't know why, but they do. And I'd like a large sweet tea. And the guy doesn't turn around to the kitchen and say, all right, jump in the box and let's go. Somebody has to be there to bread the chicken, to fry the chicken, to cut the fries, to fry the fries, to put the ice in the cup, to put the ranch in the bag. It all has to, there's work that has to take place so that what you get in your bag is the order that you placed, hopefully. If you go to Zaxby's, you got a 99% chance of it being right. Chick-fil-A, if it's not right, they'll pay you and they'll make it right. Maybe not pay you but it's assurance. See, I, I could trace many reasons why I have such bright hope for our church. 
because I have seen what God's hand has done here in the past. I have seen how God has transformed hearts and lives through the ministries of First Baptist Church of Fairburn because the gospel of Jesus Christ and the desire and the effort and the work to reach others with that gospel has gone before us. There has been an assurance of God's presence here that gives us hope for our future. But he goes on in verse four and five and says that, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. See, there is this this draw in to, to the future and where all this is heading. And he's talking about the future Zion and he's talking about the establishment of God's present kingdom and what God will do through his people. But it's all in the context biblically of a family. See, what happens in the Bible is we see the presence of God. We see Emmanuel bringing us to a family identity. A family identity identity look at what he says the dwelling the holy dwelling places of the most high in the city of God man you've heard people speculate for for years as long as you've been in the church you've heard somebody speculate on what heaven's going to be like I mean, we got this really cool picture in the book of Revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down from from heaven and from from heaven not not Let me just rephrase, start over. We've got this picture in the book of Revelation of the new Jerusalem descending from God above, this beautiful city where we will all be together. And we won't be estranged from one another. We won't be strangers from one another. We will be in this dwelling as the everlasting family of God. That's a cool thing. Man, I know Jesus says, hey, in heaven in that day, there'll be no marriage. You won't be given to marriage. I'm kind of sad about that, but it's also kind of cool to think that, hey, we won't be bound by our marital identity the way that we sometimes feel in this society. Sometimes it can be ostracizing to be single. Sometimes it can be ostracizing to be married. Friday night, we're with we're, we're our college groups together um, at the Redding's house and we're having a meal and everything. And I've got all these single guys sitting around me. I'm like, well, I'm married, so I can't relate to that anymore. So, uh, and, and even this morning in Sunday school, they're like, oh, you would have done it back in your prime. I'm like, what? In my prime? I think I've hit my prime, but here it comes. And it's like, okay, so it can be ostracizing. Even, trust me, singles, being married can be ostracizing as well. It's all about what you're looking at in the external. See, when we get into that new place, into that new heaven, to that new Jerusalem, this eternal dwelling of God, all of those things fade away because we have a different identity. We have a family identity because of the presence of God centered in us. That we are his people. He is our earthly, I mean, he is our heavenly father And he is the author of a new identity. And see, David's writing long before there was even this idea of a new Jerusalem. I mean, everything centered around the the present Jerusalem, the one where David's throne was, the one where David's kingdom was. It was all right there. It's like, okay, that's not gonna be moved. I believe David's like, no, 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 this is far greater. 
This is far greater. See, when we start looking at ourselves in the context of the family identity of the family of God with Emmanuel, some of that loneliness and some of those labels start disappearing. So, some, of those, some of those things that are off-putting about this world start disappearing. And then he drops this one on us. Verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolation to the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Church, this is why we step forward because God is with us. We step forward because God is with us. Man, I, I could tell you, I could tell you story after story after story about First Baptist Church of Fairburn and just the presence of God with us. I've, I've looked through this, uh, this history book of First Church Fairburn several times since I've been here. And, and, I, and I see the hand of God move and move and move. I, I see pastors and associate pastors and secretaries and ministers and how, how their stories have, have helped shape and transform, transform this place. I've looked and I've read highlights of when this building was built and that building was that built and, and the money was raised. And, and it's all, it, 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 I, know, I know you're like, man, this always comes back to money. In a lot of ways it does. One of the really cool things that, that I found in here um, as I was reading through, uh, just reviewing it over this week, this building was finished in March of 2000, I'm oh, sorry, March of uh, 1965. Um, also in 1963, the church bought a house over here on Valley View Drive to be the pastorum, the parsonage for the, for the new pastor, uh, uh, Jack Willis, to live there. The construction of this building and the purchase of that house was only $207,000 total. Good grief. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, I'm looking at that going, okay. But you know, in 1963, 1965, that's a lot of money. I mean, don't get me wrong. $207,000 is still a lot of money. But when you put it in the perspective of what was there, that's a lot of money. I, I, don't, I don't know everybody that was on the church rolls in 1963 when the vote was made to, to buy 139 Valley View or in 1964 when the construction of this building was, was started. But here's what I do know. This church believed that God had a purpose for them to accomplish in the city of Fairburn and in South Fulton County. And so they stepped out and they gave and they gave and they gave of their heart, they gave of their time, they gave of their money and they put blood, sweat and tears into what they were doing here because they believed that a great God had a great purpose for this church and they knew that they weren't doing it alone but that God was with them. 
And then as the church continued to reach and continued to develop, just a few short years later, they determined in 1980, we've got to have more Sunday school space and a place where we can gather and come together as a family. So they took on the addition of our fellowship hall. And you know what? That one wasn't cheap either. It says in here that that one was done for $315,000. You can't do that for $315,000 in 2018. But in 1980, 1981, that was a ton of money. And the church was able to do it. Not because God said, you know what? I love you so much. I want you to have a place to eat. But because we believe as a family that it's important for us to gather. And it's important for us to have opportunities to encourage and have fellowship with one another. And because of the step that was taken in 1980 to build that building and to have that space. Right now, we are able to embark on new mission and new ministries with Messy Church and with Roundtable. And with ESL and other, other groups that use that room to see the glory of God made. Why? Because we knew then what we know now, that God is with us. We step forward because God is with us. We step forward because this great God that we believe in didn't stop moving when in, 1990, in 1980, he continues to move today. He didn't stop moving when he moved you out of your pew into the, in, into the aisle, out to the altar to show the world that you have trusted faith in Christ. He's still moving today. Even in the 90s when extra space was, was added right over here, 1996 and 1997, man, escalating costs, $750,000 dollars to add this wing over here God was with us then and God is with us now God will provide and he uses us to provide why am I sharing all this with you well I don't want to make it a secret but when it hits summer in the church it's a little bit lean when it comes to giving it's a little bit lean when it comes to offering and to budget and we're behind just plain and simple we're behind I'm coming to you with this series on I Give, not to ask for your money, not, not to ask you and convict you because you didn't tithe. Although I did, I did see a picture that I sent to uh, a couple of our, to, to staff and to our, some of our finance team this week of, you know, the, uh, the who didn't tithe bulletin board that was put up in some church, literally put up in some church and it had names on it, who didn't tithe that week. Maybe we need to go there. I'm just not doing that, I'm just kidding. But... Some of y'all are laughing. You're laughing. You see your name on there. Um, but here's, here's, what I ha here's what I am doing. I am bringing us all into the place where we can see that it's bigger than us, that we're not in it by ourselves because we have a great God who will go before us and who will go with us. But it takes money to do it. We have a vision and a goal to increase Sunday school. We have a vision and goal to reach new families, to reach young families. I sat down this week with one of our elementary school principals and she just shared her heart with me about how much it means that a church would reach out to them to say, let us come and partner with you. And it's gonna take time and it's probably gonna take some money. But we don't get there unless we give. Unless we, we, we give. I want you to know we're not, we're, we're, not, we're not bankrupt, we're not hurting, but we're behind. We step forward in faith and give because he is a great God who has called us to a great purpose that he is with us to accomplish. We step forward with boldness. Look at this, this boldness. 
Come behold the works of the Lord, verse eight. He has wrought desolation in the earth. Look at verse nine. He makes the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. That is a great God who has almighty power and almighty authority. And we yield ourselves to him and in boldness say, that's the God in whom I believe. That is the God that I believe called us to step forward into our city in new ways to reach a new generation, to reach a previous generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's with us.